Welcome to Her Next Play's Power Chat Podcast, hosted by Sarah Wegman and Audra Emerson. At Her Next Play, our mission is to develop the next generation of women leaders through sports. Sports build powerful leadership skills, and female athletes have enormous leadership and career potential. In our Power Chat Podcast, we talk to inspiring women leaders about sports, leadership, and careers. Hi, everyone. This is your host, Sarah Wegman, and I'm thrilled to welcome our guest today, Megan Lamoth, to the Her Next Play Power Chat Podcast. Megan is the founder and CEO of Foray Golf. Before that, she was an executive for Victoria's Secret. Throughout her career, she's held a variety of roles in merchandising, media, sales, and marketing. She's a graduate of Colgate University, where she studied philosophy and math, and she earned her MBA at NYU Stern. Megan, thank you for being on the podcast today. Thanks. That really sums it up. (laughs) So I read for a golf described as a modern golf fashion company looking to make a progressive change in women's golf apparel. Can you tell us more about for and how it got started? Yeah, I think, um, listen, anybody, you know, who's starting a company, I think is always their first client. And so, you know, foray for me started as, you know, an an answer to the problem of like, what do we actually wear on the course? Um, I think most people who enter the women's golf space kind of have that aha moment where, um, you know, I think the big guys aren't necessarily doing it right. And so our goal was to really, really pay attention. Um, and, and we started for a few different ways, but one of the ways we thought about it is just because we have that experience in women's women's apparel and specifically bras, which there's nothing more, you know, uh, intimate than intimates, um, for women. Right. And so there's just certain things, certain things that you learn about, uh, women's bodies and, and rigors around the fit process that you would not have an experience anywhere else. Um, and so we could really bring that unique point of view, um, to foray, even though we don't make bras currently, not never, but you know, and, um, you know, so there was that. And then, and then, you know, the thing that I was struggled with, with golf personally was, you know, I'm a New Yorker. Um, I'd like to think that I understand fashion or I follow it or, you know, what's going on. And I have a lot of favorite designers out there, but you know, I never felt like myself when I was playing golf. I always felt like I was wearing a costume and as much as people will joke to me, Oh, are your clothes going to make me play better? Well, kind of. Because if you feel really confident and you feel good about yourself, I think you, it does translate to how you perform, you know, not just, not just on a golf course, but that's the same thing as walking into a boardroom or no, any, anywhere, you know, walking into a a party, if you feel really good about yourself and, you know, the work that you've done and, and, you know, what you look like and, you know, whatever that confidence, you know, finds its way into what you're doing. So that's kind of the impetus for it. And, and, and again, I'm missing one really important component of that, which is I became a mother and uh, my daughter is named Ray. So literally the company is for Ray. But, you know, for me, um, I had this corporate job and it was very, very good. And there was a path to, you know, leadership that I really could have taken. But for me, I wanted Ray, uh, very become, you, I think become, you become a parent, you become very aware of, you know, everything you're doing because that's purely how they learn and just by watching you. And so I was aware of I want her to see her mom come home and do something um, and make a change and make an actual impact. And so that's kind of how this whole thing started. So it was inspired by um, her and it's literally is a message for her and all of our daughters. And that's amazing. So I I think it's really interesting. I think you're absolutely right. And it is um, fascinating what a big hole there is in the market. So I feel like if I go, I'm not a 
serious golfer. I'm a casual golfer. I play maybe five or six times a year, but you know, when, you know, every season we think, okay, what am I going to wear on the course? And if you go to those sort of big box sporting retailers and it's almost all men's and then they have this tiny women's section, which is not good and almost always pink. Like they just think we can just take the men's clothes and turn them pink and that's what women golfers want and this is going to work. So I'm, I'm just curious, like why, why do you think, you know, probably I'm guessing there's not a lot of, of women on, on some of the brands that create golf clothes, but how could there be such a big hole in the market? It's really funny because um, there's a couple different ways to come at the answer. Cause like you, a lot of times, like if you just think about how golf is and how the buy side of the business is, right. It's we get really businessy for a second. Okay. I really do have my MBA I promise. So like, if you think about the buy side of it, right. And the demand side, most of the purchases historically until COVID really have been taking place at country clubs, right? Like people go to the pro shop and they buy whatever they buy. Right. And I guess super, super, you know, casual, casual golfers will like go to Dick sporting goods and pick up whatever. Right. Most of the purchase happen um, at the pro shop level. And there are just at the high end, I forgot, I should know what this actual number is globally, but I think at the high end clubs, like premium private clubs, whatever, I think there's like 2,500 of them. I think that's around there. Right. But they're all basically, except for, you know, you know, maybe Kemper sports or, you know, club corp or whatever, but they're really mostly independent. And so that's an huge strain on any club, on every company um, just to be able to, you know, service that many clubs, but also on a, on demand side, you have to sell to, I always pick on this, you know, head pro, I always name him Jeff because my head pro's name is Jeff, but he is so lovely. There's always a head pro and you have to convince them that you have a women's business. Um, because they'll always say, oh, you know, I only, I don't have, I have a lot of women that play, but they don't buy. And they don't realize it's because you don't have the right assortment. Yeah. And it's almost like why, you know, any big box company or any company, if you don't have the right thing, um, your customer base is going to go away and they're going to go, you know, somewhere else. Um, so, you know, you got to bring her back. Um, and, and that really has to become the, 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 the source of it has to come from the assortment and what you bring in. And usually the way I say, what I say to these guys is listen, like, um, you know, are you married? Are you sure? You know, if somebody else who has more closet space, you or her. Okay. Well, she's buying something. <laughs> so, um, and then women, we tend to make, you know, I think it's, there's a crazy number. It's in the nineties, high nineties. We make like some astronomical percentage of household buying decisions, but so it's there. Um, it's there and you just have to get them to believe. Um, and then, you know, for a long time, since these guys had the wrong assortment, there was a race to the bottom. And what I mean by that is, and this is really businessy, but the only way for them to get consumers to buy was to discount, right? And so you'd walk into a pro shop, it'd be the new season and it'd already be 40% off. And so you had basically people not competing on quality or style. You had them now competing on price and that's no way to have innovation in a market. Um, so, so anyway, so you have to break that paradigm and, and that's what we kind of set out to do was, you know, we don't discount, we do it once a year for, you know, um, going into the holiday season typically, right? Like a cyber Monday, you know, you know, we don't, and we run a really limited edition model. So um, globally, we don't make anything between, you know, more than, you know, between 20 and 300 of any one thing. Um, and if you restrict supply, I'm really inspired by like a company like a Supreme or, you know, what Jordan does with their shoes, you know, how, how do they, you know, have, I mean, they're so powerful, restricting supply is so powerful that you have secondary markets. 
even even our stuff has some somewhat of a secondary market, which is kind of does it? Yeah, it's kind of cool to start seeing that. I'm like, oh wow, you know, like, <laughs> oh hey, this rare rare thing sort of popped up and people will pay for it. So that's that's kind of the business case for it. I think that's that's really why it's it's really a, a at the end of the day a financial breakdown of consumers and and their willingness to pay and and just this vicious kind of cycle of not the right thing and then she doesn't want to pay for it, you know. Um, right. Right. Well, it's really interesting because I do feel like a lot of times, you know, even if you think about women's sports jerseys, so um, soccer players jerseys or WNBA jerseys, like they never, they're never at Dick Sporting's Goods, you know, they're just never, they're like, well, we don't have the demand, but then they're selling out online everywhere. And so it's there. It's just trying to get to that market. So, so uh, why golf? Did you, were you a serious golfer? How did you get into the golf apparel business? Not at all. Um, I started playing about 10 years ago on a date. Um, and then, you know, I wanted to, it was, it was funny cause it was, I think golf is like a, like a drug, um, in a way. Cause I, I was a competitive tennis player and I gave that up. Um, I had to like sort of physically, like my body just was like, Nope, we're not moving that way anymore. And golf was the first thing that I felt really good about competing in or being competitive with myself. And I, I had, I didn't realize I missed it. Um, and so I only started playing, yeah, like 10 years ago, I guess. But I think you fall in love and and it and now, you know, it's just this thing I want to do and be outside and walk around and um kind of connect. And and it's the best thing in the world to like be able to do that with your friends and be outside. And and I don't listen, I'm I don't keep score ever. It's actually a rule of mine. Some people find it annoying. But like I think we're so competitive in like real life and there's enough looking at financials and numbers and sales and whatever. I don't want to do that on the golf course. So, um, I don't know, a little insanity chasing a white ball feels really good. Right. I have a really fantastic system. It's just either smiley face, kind of neutral face or frown face. And that's how I score my golf holes. And I feel, and it makes me feel great. And it's really only when I actually have to truly have a score and can't do a scramble that I start to feel bad about the game. So I think you're absolutely right. <laughs> Getting out there is so fun and playing. So at her next play, we're champions of just all the skills that girls and women build through sports and then how those skills translate and really help develop leaders and help women in their career. So I read about you hiring a pro golfer who was um, paused from a tour perspective this COVID season um, to come help for a, how did that go? And kind of what, what are the skills that you see that women athletes are building that translate really well? <laughs> I would only hire if I could it's not legal. I would only hire like female golfers. I really would if I could. Um, she's amazing. So she is a professional golfer. Um, she's on our website too. Actually, she's done some like modeling for some light modeling. Um, I would say, and she's also our comptroller, which everybody gets a card when you join for a golf. Um, it's amazing. She's got this, uh, obviously she's inherently incredibly intelligent. Right. Um, and she can synthesize like basically most problems that I could even conceive. And also she really understands the game and she also understands like how our industry works. Um, but you know, the amount of fortitude and the amount of kind of like even the tough jobs that I give her, which there are definitely some hard ones, like figure out this problem. And here is a big mess of numbers in Excel files. She like, she just jumps right into it with total, you know, um, focus. Um, I don't know, like every female golfer I've had the, 
like honor, I guess, of, of a professional golfer I've had the honor of meeting, I've been impressed with. Um, not only because they're amazing, amazing athletes, but they're absolutely positively super dedicated, right? I mean, the amount of, to be an LPGA tour player, like the amount of training you have to do, the amount of like work that you have to do, it's a job. Um, and these girls are good. Uh, one of our players, I, we were on a photo shoot with her and we were on a par three taking pictures and she stuck the ball at a par three, like maybe a foot away. She had like 10 balls, a foot away from each previous shot. I mean, it almost dunked a few. It's just whatever. But I, you know, I think that's it. It's like, you've got these, these people who are really talented and also like golfers, but generally pretty educated people. I mean, in general, I don't think, you know, you wander in this game, um, it's like you wander like a child into the game and play it successfully. I think you have to be really strategic and you have to really want it and you have to want to be competitive at it. Like you and me, like we're cool. We like, just like, we're fine. We'll go. We're not going to get better. We're not going to get worse. We're here to have a good time, but to really excel the amount of dedication it takes. And so I've been totally blown away. Um, yeah. And actually I hired another person who's not a pro golfer, but she was a a collegiate golfer at Northwestern. And now she's head of sales in, uh, what's it called in uh, the Midwest and she's crushing it. So what, what has been one of the biggest surprises that you, um, encountered as you started foray, like anything you didn't expect? Start of starting a business. Um, I'll give you a good and a bad, a, a good one, I guess, is like, there's nothing that compares to the moment where you see something somebody wearing something that you made because you, it's almost like, um, you say it like, I don't know if you've ever been in a play or like, you know, been part of like a film or anything like that. And you know, when something goes wrong, somebody misses your cue when you're part of it, you're like, Oh crap. You know, like she, Cindy didn't jump, you know, into the, whatever. you know, and we see all the problems, but to see somebody wearing it, enjoying it and like in the wild, I'll call it, is unreal. Like that's the coolest thing. And, and you could, I've done it. I've done it at Pebble beach. I've done it in the Hamptons and I've gone out to people and I'm like, that's my clothing. And they're like, we bought this. And I'm like, no, no, that's not what I mean. Um, <laughs> so it's cool. I think, you know, the thing that I would say is surprising, but also difficult is being entrepreneur. You go in with, you have to have a lot of, in the same way, I guess, fortitude, you go in with a plan and you have to be willing to adapt. And as much as you think you have an idea of what it's going to be like, it's going to be a hundred times harder. Um, and one of the hardest parts about, about it is just the ups and downs, especially early in the beginning, like things are much more normal now, but early in the beginning, you know, every success is followed by a failure is followed by another success. And you're just riding this roller coaster of roller coaster of emotions. Right. (laughs) And so you have to be able to weather all of that you know, oh my God, you know, we're in Golf Digest. Oh my God, this fabric is is bleeding. You know, like, um, oh my, are my shipping, they just charge us $10,000. You know, like, I, it just, you're just on this crazy roller coaster and you have to be okay with that. Um, but it's definitely, it's definitely surprising because you can't really prepare yourself for it. Um, and I think being an entrepreneur also means that you have to be a little um, naive. <laughs> I guess is the word. Cause if you can't actually, I think if you actually took the time to prepare for every possible circumstance that could go wrong, you'd miss your window. Um, so you have to be a little bit willing to take the lumps. Well, it's interesting. Cause I think that, you know, a lot of the entrepreneurs you hear from are 
really successful entrepreneurs there, you know, that you read about or that you hear on podcasts. And so I think there's a, you don't get to hear all of the tough things. Uh, well, it's, it's funny. Cause I said this to somebody today. <clears throat> I was like, I usually call myself, I, I am a CEO, right? I usually call myself the founder because like yesterday, for example, I was on a conference call and our office is empty because it's COVID, right? And like, you know, a CEO takes their conference call with their coffee in their room. I was mopping the floor of our office and I'm like, I'm clearly a founder, right? There's a different attitude, I think, when you're a founder versus like a CEO, right? Because like, that's just, I think when you found a company and you're really the entrepreneur who's doing it and, and obviously people transition, you know, between one place and another, but I think when you're still in it, um, <laughs> it's definitely a lot dirtier unless. Absolutely. Well, so there's not enough women entrepreneurs, you know, women aren't getting enough st startup funding. Um, and I, I imagine that in the sports sector, there's even fewer C women CEOs and uh, startup founders. So what has been your experience as a woman entrepreneur in a more male dominated sector? It's really funny. Um, I was talking about this too earlier. It's really funny. It's interesting. This all came up. Um, it's, in some ways you have to play a role and I think you have to figure out, you know, what, what that is. I mean, our, our industry definitely is very male dominated. I find myself talking very differently um, around the boys than I do around the girls. Um, I wouldn't say that I'm not myself cause I'm definitely myself, but I definitely have, I definitely think um, you have to be able to hang with the guys because in some ways it is a, is a boys club and you know what I mean? Um, I don't actually, I'm trying to think of like very, there's very few of us in the golf industry for sure. Um, but you know, I wouldn't say that the boys aren't welcoming, especially the new generation of guys. Cause I, you know, I think we're, I think they realize that we're all in this together and, and the small companies, if we band together, we can all succeed. Right. I think we're, I think we all realize we're fighting kind of a common, you know, tide. So that's been really, really great in finding that group of, of guys like who are also are similar, probably of age and size and, you know, company wise to us. But definitely, um, I, you probably do get a little discounted being a woman, but we've just tried to find like real relationships and, and be genuine. I think, I think that's the key to anything is like, I'm not making this up. I'm literally trying to solve the problem of women's golf clothing in every possible way that I can that's maybe what the community res respects is that I'm really trying to solve it. And it's not like a, you know, a BS passion project that I'm just sort of doing on as a side hustle. It's like, literally, this is my full-time job and I'm hundred percent committed to it. And so one of the things that was really great to read about and learn more is just the focus that 4A has on helping support women. So can you tell me a little bit more about how that plays out in the different aspects of your company and the way you operate? I mean, I, you know, I think it's just a genuine thing. So we, um, we try to work with as many charities as we possibly can, um, you know, from else from else for autism, we worked with the tiger foundation, work with, um, first T, you know, metropolitan New York, first T Chicago. Um, I think this key to getting, um, you know, women involved is actually getting them involved. And so we've done a lot of stuff on the ground. Um, it's very rare that I say no to doing something for a charity. Like most people will find out that that's true. I, I, I really believe, you know, in, um, in kids. So, you know, and I, especially like, you know, I have a daughter, so like our daughters are our future. Um, so, <laughs> you know, whatever we can do in terms of giving apparel, um, supporting people on tour or, um, 
you know, even just like financially holding event and bringing awareness to a charity, like that's, that's what we, that's what we have to do. And then we just make this commitment to like promoting women. And, and then the other thing we do is we, you know, we make things in factories and with labor that, you know, helps, helps women. So for, for example, our, maybe our number one factory is here in New York and it's a woman owned factory. It's run by a woman and she's Korean American and she got her uh, mother like 30 years ago to get her a $5,000 loan to start this factory. And now they do a tremendous amount of our capacity. They're amazing. And uh, her, she works there. Her husband, you know, works there. Her sister works there. Her daughter-in-law works there. Her son works there. It's like a real family business. Um, but really it's about, for me, like it's a, that's a woman run business. And so how do we promote through what we do other women run businesses and, and, and be actually actively aware of it? So I, I think if you want to grow the sisterhood, you actually have to promote the sisterhood. Um, and I don't mean that in a way that like, I don't hate men. I love men. They're great. Um, but I also would like us to succeed because I would like my daughter to have the best chance she can. Yeah, absolutely. I feel the same way. And that I think at Her Next Play, that's what we're all about is that next generation and how do you give them all the opportunities that they deserve to reach their full potential. Kids just need a chance, man. Like I, I that's it. I, I think, you know, and a kid that, that, that can get a chance and then make something out of it or just follow up. I mean, that's the number one thing for kids is just follow up. And that's one of the things that I wasn't good when I was at, you know, when I was younger is just like, make the call, write the email. Actually, back then it was handwritten letters. <laughs> like, write the letter, you know, write the thank you note, like that counts. That'll get you really, really far. Um, and, and it'll open up all the doors for you. Right. So that kind of very related, uh, my next question was going to be, what, what is your advice to ambitious young women that are starting their careers off? Um, cause I, I, you said it earlier, I was a math and philosophy major. I also minored in art, no big deal. The thing I would say is when you think about your career, you can go into your career and this is the biggest mistake you can make and say like, I'm going to be a lawyer. You're like, okay, that's a crazy thing to say. Okay. When you're 15 or whatever, the thing that you have to look for is the feeling you get when you do the job and you could end up being, you could want to be a lawyer and that's fine. But you know, um, I love problems. And I inherently like solving problems. And sometimes I make problems for myself just so I can solve them. I think that's basically how I'm created. But anyway, that's why this job is so good for me because the body of my work majority is like creating a problem, squashing a problem, finding a problem, squashing a problem, and there's no end to problems. So when you look for your career, you have to figure out like the thing that you really love isn't the job itself. It's the feeling that you get or the problem you like solving or the actual like the body of work. If you're really a great leader, then you should just figure out what's the best place you can go to lead teams. Like how can you run an HR at a major company? Or if you're really great in inspiring others, cool. Like you could go work in the nonprofit world and like actually get people to spend, you know, their money on something that's worthy. Or you could go be a CEO, but like the reality is like it's just about the body of work that you do. And that's what makes the career sustainable. And I didn't realize what I loved until probably my thirties because I'd had so many different jobs and had a diversity of jobs, but there was always, and it takes a little bit of hindsight to figure out what's the common thread like thing. So in, in the end, the end of the day, it was basically like, you know, uh, I don't say product development cause that's not the right thing, but like, I call it commercialization, but like, how do you create something? And I love creating something. Right. Um, and that's where, why we're here. So, 
you know, that's what you have to find. And that's the thing you have to figure out. And you don't have to find, by the way, you're not going to figure that out like in your twenties. And the best thing you can do for yourself is just say yes and do as many things as you possibly can. So you can be exposed to as much as you can try as many things. If you like, you want to see, like, go be a chef. I learned a lot. I used to, you know, my, my job in college randomly, I, um, during the school year, I, I worked obviously in the summers, but during the school year, I worked at a sushi bar and I became a sushi chef in upstate New York. And that was amazing. Not only because I got to eat all the free sushi I wanted, that was awesome. But, you know, working on a line in a kitchen teaches you a lot about how to prepare things simultaneously and make sure they're hot at exactly the same time. And that's exactly how operations works when you produce a product. Like you need the zipper to be there the same time as the pocket lining is the fabric. So um, that's it. I just think you need a diversity of, of understanding and, and, and figure out like what the body of work is, not what the job is. The job doesn't matter at all. Right. Yeah. And it's really interesting. I think that's a great insight and just one that I think we're so focused on certain career paths or certain jobs or certain industries and don't always, people don't always, you know, take the time to reflect and see what some of those common themes and threads are. I mean, if you want to be a dentist, you probably need to be around teeth. But like, I'm sure there's other like parallel jobs that could make you the better, a better dentist, right? Um, yeah. And don't beat yourself up. And also everybody's going to fail. Like everybody's going to get fired at some point. You're going to have to fire somebody else probably at some point. And you just have to be able to roll with it. You know, be fortitude and just keep moving forward is really not valued enough by us, you know, just don't quit. Yeah, absolutely. So so golf has such a reputation for being a place where deals get made and where a lot of networking happens mostly with men. And I think for a lot of women, it feels like they're sometimes excluded from those opportunities or maybe they're invited, but they don't feel as comfortable on the golf course. Um, I think for girls too, you know, not as many girls are golfing. So what do you think, um, industry can do society can do what can we do to get more girls golfing i think um i think there's a really good i think you just have to do it right um and and not take like you and me like we don't take it that seriously there's a really great group of girls that we do a lot with called gruder golf um there's a you know abby liebenthal right does for the ladies like i think you find your sisterhood and just do it like undeniably like i got into conversations that i shouldn't have gotten into and I was able to relate and to people that were definitely higher than me, corp, you know, in the corporate world, um, because I had that knowledge of the sport and was interested in it. And I mean, I can, I can get around, you know, or, you know, just, um, make yourself aware of it and then find your sisterhood. Listen, the Gruder golf girls had this aha, which is exactly right. Which is our friends, our guy friends were disappearing every week for like five or six hours every week. There's something that they're enjoying that's like an aha. Why won't, why wouldn't we do that too? Um, and so I don't think you should be phony about it. I don't think you should fake it, but I think, you know, making it less serious. I think dress codes are ridiculous. Um, I think people should play in however they feel comfortable, you know, no matter what, you know, I think that's the wrong discussion to have about golf. Like if we're talking about golf right now and, and people are talking about hoodies being a problem, like, come on guys, like that's not the problem with golf. Um, and just making it more accessible, like, you know, First Tee, the First Tee Metro New York, which we're working with, you know, does so much good work about getting kids involved in the sport that, you know, don't necessarily have the same background as a, tradi- a non-traditional, you know, non-traditional golfer. But one of the best AMs in the world is from their program. Um, yeah, she's amazing. And she just played in the Women's US Open. So, or she's playing in the Women's US Open, didn't happen yet. 
Um, anyway, I, I think um, everybody's got to take it a little bit less seriously. But if you want to play at that serious level, that's totally fine. You know, that too. But allow yourself to be segmented, you know, and just and just enjoy it. I don't think, I think you really got to, you think you really actually genuinely have to like to play the game. <laughs> right. <laughs> but there's, I think there's flexibility in how you approach it so that you do enjoy it. Yeah, I think there's, all, <clears throat> I'm a, a six-hole golfer. Like, I like to play six yeah. holes. And so that's okay. But I think a lot of people are like, oh, why do you even bother? But that's just the way I like to play it. <laughs> I mean, and exactly. Who cares? Like, it's almost like parenting's like that. So people like, a lot of people like to have opinions about like, you know, oh my God, are you giving your kid mac and cheese the second time this week? You're just like, listen, calm down. The kid's eating. Right? I, the same thing. It's like, who golf can look a lot of different ways. Don't be judgmental let it go. It can look like anything. It's the fact that you're like, you know, participating in it that matters. And, um, I don't know. I, I think, I think that I'm excited for the new generation of kids that's coming up now because I think it's just a lot different even than like 10 years ago when I started. It's different. Um, I, I just think, I think the world is changing in a, in a good way. Right. And people don't necessarily subscribe to the same, you know, old, or I guess established kind of, you know, things. All right, so to wrap things up, at Her Next Play, we're all about giving visibility to women leaders. Who is a woman that's inspiring you right now? I just look at my peers and how inspi I'm inspired by the stuff they're doing um, and how they're moving up in their career. And like one of my friends is the CMO of a company. I'm like, how the heck did they, you convince them to make you a chief mark? I mean, she's really smart. She deserves it. That's not what I mean. But it's weird to see, you know, you see your friends, you see your friends come up. Um, that's the stuff to me that I find really inspiring because it's like, oh, we got this. You know, I feel, I feel like I'm a, I'm a part of a team in that way because I never, listen, I never want to single myself out. I really don't. I think it's about, I just think it's really cool to see everybody around me come together into success. And that for me is like, okay, we can do it together. We can do it together. And it kind of keeps me moving forward. Um, awesome. All right. Well, Megan, thank you so much for being on the Her Next Play Power Chat podcast. Thank you. And that's a wrap. Thank you for listening to the Her Next Play Power Chat podcast. We hope you've been inspired to become part of our community and join us in our mission to develop the next generation of women leaders through sports. You can help support us by heading to our website at www.hernextplay.org to join our Booster Club as a donor or a volunteer. And follow us on LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter at Her Next Play to learn more about our programs and upcoming events. We'll be back soon for the next Power Chat.